All right, well, good afternoon, everybody. Hope y'all are doing well. If you have your Bible, go ahead and jump with us to 1 Peter, toward the back of your New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3. To remind you of kind of what we're doing, uh, we are dealing with uh, issues of biblical manhood and womanhood. The first two weeks, we focused on Genesis and uh, some other passages in the New Testament, like Ephesians 5. And um, we particularly focused on the role of the man, and in a lot of these contexts are marital contexts, so the role of the husband. And um, these weeks, we're trying to focus more on the role of the wife, the mother, uh, and the role of the woman more generally. So 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 is our plan to spend a good bit of the time today in that relatively brief passage, but it is packed with, uh, with some good stuff. So um, Papa Fred, would you read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, and then Scott, can you pray for us? Sure. The word of the Lord, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For well, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful that we can gather here and we could even have this live streamed online. Thank you for the technology and for all those who've worked hard to make this a possibility. Uh, we're thankful for your word that is precious. But Father, as we come to study this passage, uh, I have a feeling that it will be convicting for wives in the room and certainly for future wives in the room, and it will be convicting for husbands, especially verse 7. Uh, and we are thankful that your word pierces us. It cuts us. It does bring conviction. So I, I do pray that it would change us as we study this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're thankful for the preciousness of the word, and uh, I pray that we would be conformed more to the image of Christ uh, through the study of this passage of Scripture, uh, that we'd leave here uh, desiring to love our wives better, the husbands, and Husbands and wives would leave here wanting to uh, submit uh, to their husbands really out of reverence for Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So with this passage, and I don't know that this will be easy <laughs> to write down. You probably won't be able to write these points down necessarily. They're not one word each. They're kind of phrases. So, But there are 10 points that we want to walk through today, and uh, we're splitting them into five points each. The first five points are what submission does not mean. Uh, so th it's important to kind of talk about what you're not saying when you clarify what you are saying so that everyone gets a better sense of what uh, this word means, what it entails. So five things submission does not mean, and five things that submission actually is. Uh, relying in part here on Grudem's uh, article from the Biblical Manhood and Womanhood book back from the 80s or 90s, uh, he had a lot of good things on this and um, kind of adapting those points into our own today. 
So we'll just jump right in, and uh, we'll just sort of, sort of talk as we go. And uh, the first one, so submission does not mean, number one, agreeing with your husband about everything. Someone's going to say, amen. No, so what, what, where are we getting this from in the passage? Submission does not mean agreeing with your husband about everything. Does the woman in this passage agree with her husband about everything? She is a believer. Her husband is not a believer. At least this applies in some cases to a, a woman married to an unbelieving husband. Now, just pause there. The reason this happens is not because it's good for non-believers to date and marry believers or things like that. The point here is this. You would have a couple who was married. They were both unbelievers. Someone comes to town and preaches the gospel. In this case, the wife hears the gospel, is moved, moved to repentance and faith. She trusts Christ. She's baptized. She joins the church, and her husband refuses to do so. And so, not just does she disagree with her husband on a few things. She, she disagrees with her husband on the most essential things in life, and yet she can still be submissive to that same husband, uh, despite the fact that they're going to disagree about God and the basics of, of what we're here. So, any thoughts on that first point? I, I think it all goes back to the garden again. Uh, it's all uh, on the, the curse chapter, what does Grudem say? Uh, Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be for your husband, speaking to the woman, and he shall rule over you. And that sounds very nice. You will really desire your husband. No, that means you want to control your husband, and he wants to control you. He wants to rule over you. That was the condition that God placed upon marriage as a result of the fall. Now, he redeemed that through Christ, but we still have that same flesh tendency. So in your example, where you have the wife, who was the unbeliever, the husband or the wife? The husband's unbeliever. The husband's unbeliever. Well, he's, why is he going to react anyway other than like a monarch? Because he doesn't know the gospel. Now, she may react uh, kindly and gently, and, but she may sway him as a result of the gospel. So he's undone the curse, but only for redeemed people. Right, yes, yes. So, part of the curse there from Genesis 3, 16, that is, the, the curse is not gender roles. The curse is the abuse and distortion of gender roles. In Genesis 3, 16, the wife's desire is to dominate her husband. She will, remember, the, the, she will desire him. That's the same word used of Cain's sin, is, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Same exact language a chapter later. So, the idea is that the, the wife will have a desire to take control of the marriage, which is not right. That's part of the fall. Also, husbands will have temptations to be dominant in their leadership in an abusive way, which is also part of the fall. So, the idea that husbands lead and that, that wives support their husbands is biblical from before the fall, but the abuse of those roles is part of the fall, uh, if that makes sense for, for Genesis chapter 3, uh, 3.16. 3.16? Yes, sir. Uh, number two, what submission does not mean. Submission does not mean seeking to avoid influencing your husband. Submission does not mean seeking to avoid influencing your husband. This woman, this godly woman, is trying to influence her husband in the most profound way imaginable. What is she trying to do? Convert him. Lead him to Christ. See him saved. She wants his entire life transformed. Everything about him changed and made different. And what happens here? She, she wants to do that. But it, Peter's going to make crucial. It's all about the way in which she does that. Yeah, I mean, I could say, just what you pictured, it's both of them were non-Christians. Somebody comes, preaches the gospel, the wife is converted. And we know this, 
when we're converted, we almost immediately, we want people to be one. We want, that's what he said, used the word one, meaning he wants them taken from darkness to light. He wants them to be saved. Like that, this wife is going to be, have this overwhelming desire to see people become Christians. She wants them one. And he's going to say, win without a word doesn't mean you don't talk about the gospel, but it means you don't pester with the gospel. But you, she wants to, he, Peter wants her to live in such a way that the, the gospel is clearly seen through her life. Like, uh, this transformation has been so radical, so extreme, that she's, this, the husband's going to be like, whoa, you have something that I, I don't have. So I think there's a principle really for us all. Uh, we all are around non-Christians, and we should desire that they be one. Right. And certainly a big thing would be how we live in, in, in front of them. And I, I think of a friend of mine, you, you know, Mark, who was converted in Iraq, mm-hmm. powerful conversion. He comes home, lots of non-Christian friends. He's hanging out with them all the time. Yes, he was giving the gospel to them. He was giving them books about apologetics. But his life was so different. One of his closest friends said, of all the things you give me, all the arguments you've given me, nothing has been so compelling as your changed life. I can't make sense of your life that has been changed. So that's a big thing. Just a principle right. we can draw. We should want to be living in light of the gospel, and our lives should be uh, giving forth this light uh, to others. Well, I think this influence uh, extends even in, in, in a marriage situation where both people are believers. I mean, I, th- I think you, 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 you grow together in sanctification, and it's just kind of fun when you're on the same page and or, or on the wrong page and just talking it out in love and forbearance and, and care. And, and, and so you can also influence in that way. Yes. But for the non-believer, it's a little different situation. Yes. Sometimes it may be just setting an example because if you got preachy, it may right. not work. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's good. Uh, so, it is not unbiblical for a wife to seek to influence her husband. Peter's going to emphasize how that is to be done. Number three, uh, submission does not mean following your husband into sin. Submission does not mean following your husband into sin. And we, we can think of Peter in the book of Acts, uh, after being let out of prison and being commanded not to teach in the name of Jesus, what does he say? We must obey God, God rather, rather than, than men. men. That's the same guy writing 1 Peter 3. So, he would no doubt say the same thing to a wife. Uh, submission does not mean always following your husband. If your husband is leading you away from Christ or leading you into sin or ungodliness, a wife is actually required to not obey, not to follow her husband. Now, again, how she does that should be in, in a kind and gracious way. But if her husband says, listen, you've got to stop going to this church, this cult, this Jesus following. I can't stand it. You've got to stop. She has to say out of humility and grace in a private setting, not in public, not to insult or or belittle her husband, in an appropriate context, she needs to take her husband aside and with grace and kindness and and a, a humility, she needs to say, I love you. I respect you. I want to follow you. I want to follow your leadership. In this area, the Lord Jesus commands me not to forsake the assembling together with the brothers and sisters in Christ, and I have to obey what the Lord calls me to do. I still love you. I do not want to disrespect you, but I have to follow my conscience and and be bound to to the law of Christ. Thoughts on that? Well, we have another example that we recently discussed in Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, mean, she could have said to him, I don't agree with what you're doing. We should report the whole income or say we're giving half or whatever. Instead, she went along with it. But she, she was given by Peter another opportunity to recant, and she didn't do it. She went along with, with her husband's uh, story, spin, and as a result, died. Mm-hmm. That's right. So she could have stood up and said, I'm sorry. You know, maybe we, we fabricated this, and, you know, that was wrong. 
and I repent. I won't take the time to go to this story right now. I think it's 1 Samuel 25, although I did not write it down. Y'all remember Abigail? Uh, David's wife. Is that David's wife? She becomes David's wife, but originally she's married to this just absolutely loser guy, let's be honest. If you read the story, you should go read it. If you haven't read it in a while, 1 Samuel 25, and she actually is a tremendous model of honoring her husband who is a terrible husband. And she, she is wise, and she, is, she has foresight, and she is doing things to try to help out, and, and she does an amazing job. And actually, if I remember correctly, she basically saves her husband's life through what, what ends up happening by the way she speaks to David. She models humility, she models a submissive spirit, but she is clearly far wiser and more godly than her husband. And she shows tremendous graciousness in the way that she goes about what she does. So, Abigail would be a great example of this kind of woman in, in Scripture. Number four, what submission does not mean. It does not mean that you are less valuable than your husband. Submission does not mean you are less valuable than your husband. Now, you may have heard that before, but look again at, at verse, the end of verse seven. It talks about husbands and wives. It says, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Paul is saying, husbands and wives share in the exact same redemption in Christ. They are co-heirs of the grace of life. I think the heir language in the New Testament universally is referring to salvation. To be a co-heir with Christ is to inherit salvation. Husbands and wives who are believers are co-heirs together of salvation, which means that they are equal in salvation. Galatians 3.28 has been often misused in this conversation, but Galatians 3.28 is precious nonetheless. In Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, and we are all heirs according to the promise. That doesn't mean gender roles are obliterated. It means that men and women are equally redeemed in Christ and equally the offspring of Abraham in the Messiah. And so, that's what, that's what Peter is emphasizing here, some thoughts on the equality uh, of men and women in Christ. Well, it's my, you know, going back to, to Romans, where if we, we're heirs with, fellow, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order we may be glorified with Him. Yes. That's a beautiful, that, that follows adoption, adoption and then heirs. Um, what, a, what a picture of salvation and redemption. Yeah. Just a, a quick quote from one pastor. He said, you are joint heirs of the grace of life. Your bonds, you see, are deeper and stronger than mere romance or anything signaled by the ring on the third finger of your left hand. Your bonds will last forever. So he says, it's time, isn't it, to roll up our sleeves and recommit to our marriages here because marriage is one of God's means for preparing you, preparing you both for the life to come. Like the, with two Christians, the, the, there is no marriage in heaven, but that relationship is just going to continue to grow and grow deeper. And just in living in light of the fact that you both are equal co-heirs of life, that should strengthen our resolve to commit to honoring each other in marriage. Yeah, I th John Piper said, you know, when a husband and wife are sleeping, you're next to a future king or queen in God's redeemed world. I mean, you're dealing with someone who is just going to be glorified in Christ in the future, and letting the future of your spouse uh, a factor into how you treat your spouse in the present is important. Thinking about where God is taking them. Uh, I heard one pastor say, you know, it's like, you know, you're climbing, I don't remember what mountain range, it may have been like the Alps or some, you know, great mountain range, but, you know, there would be these clouds, these thick clouds that would roll over the mountain range, and when you were out there, you would go completely blind. You couldn't see more than a few feet in front of you, and you couldn't see the mountains at all. So, there's this immense beauty right there, but you just can't see it. And then, for a moment, the clouds would part, sky would open up, you could see the blue sky, and then you would get this glimpse up this mountain range of just glorious beauty going up the mountain range. And then an hour later, 
the clouds come back in and roll back over. And he said, this, this is kind of like in marriage, and you could have the same thing with friends or roommates or anybody, family members who are believers. You will catch glimpses in moments of who God is making them into. And there will be these moments where all the flaws sort of, you, you see past any flaws and you see the kind of character God is shaping in your wife or your friend or your roommate or your spouse or your brother or your sister. You see what God's doing. You see a moment of courage, a moment of humility, a moment of great joy and suffering. You, you see this moment of great faith in the midst of adverse circumstances. And you see that, and for that moment you see, wow, this is a little glimpse of where God's taking them. This is the kind of person that they're becoming in Christ. And then inevitably with everyday life, the clouds come back in, flaws come back to the surface. It's always going to be the case for all of us. But you get a glimpse of where God's taking them. And we should be excited about where God is taking our spouse on this journey of faith as we move closer and closer to perfect Christ-likeness. We should be excited to be uh, a co-laborer in the sanctification of our spouse and our spouse's sanctification in our own life as we, you know, there's chiseling that goes on, iron sharpening iron. There, 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 there are, there are uh, different kind of sparks that fly sometimes in the marriage, uh, not the happy kind. And the Lord, even in the midst of those moments, is shaping our character, humbling us uh, and, and helping us to trust Him more. I want to read, if I could, a little uh, quote from Piper. It, actually, he took this, what's the difference? And he actually, he took this from his Grudem Piper book. In the home, when a husband leads like Christ and a wife responds like the bride of Christ, there's harmony and mutuality that is more beautiful and more satisfying than any pattern of marriage ever created by man. Biblical headship for the husband is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, provision in the home. Biblical submission for the wife is the divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. This is the way of joy, he calls it. For God loves his people, and he loves his glory. I love that. It's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking that we sh you should want your spouse to be thriving spiritually. That that's just should be obvious. Like when you're seeing those glimpses, like we should be pushing each other in, towards sanctification. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, even in, in the different ways the husband leads and the wife respects. Like I was even thinking of an example where you talked about the, the wife will never say, will say no if, if the husband's leading, leading him into sin. Well, the husband, the last thing a Christian husband should want to do is lead our spouses yeah. into sin, but he could even show up and maybe we're going to, I'm going to watch, we're going to watch this movie exactly. together. We start and the wife says, I think this is not a good idea. This is not a good investment of our time. This is not leading us well. And she can say, cut mm -hmm. it off. And the husband should be even thinking ahead of time, what is the best thing that we should even put in front of our eyes? So even there, we should just be wanting to help each other along and thrive spiritually. Yeah, that's a good point, and, and uh, I, I do think with entertainment choices, the husband should take special responsibility in terms of what the household is going to be watching, not just the kids, of course the kids. My goodness, today, you never know what, about to go on a side tangent here, but it's like, you know, we, we get sometimes these like free little booklets that get sent to us in the mail with Micah and Molly's name on it. You know, this is for a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and <laughs> there, there are, let's just say the sexual revolution is alive and well in this thing made for a three- and four-year-old. We, we actually found a picture that promoting... Uh, a sexual revolutionary issue, and uh, I threw the thing away, of course, but you, you got to be careful uh, guarding and guiding for your children, but then the husband, especially for the wife as well, what, what kind of entertainment will be watched, what, what kinds of things you're going to put in front of your eyes and ears, uh, that really matters, and, and there's, there's weight to that, and of course, the, the, the wife can influence, but the husband bears that primary responsibility in that way. Uh, okay, oh, oh i got to just mention, I was looking up that word sub submits, you know, uh, I'll give you the Greek word, I love this, hupotasso. 
Doesn't that just sound good to say that out loud? Hupatasso. So t- now you get, get ready for the definition. And by the way, we're all called to submit in different ways to the government. We hupatasso, you know, to uh, children, to parents, hupatasso. So this word is used, uh, tasso means to appoint or to rank. Hupo means under. That is literally what the word means. It, it's, it's a military term for someone who ranks themselves underneath someone else and, and obeys them, even though they're, they're equals in dignity. This blew me away. I'd forgotten about this. Luke 2.51 after, remember, they lost Jesus for three days? There's ever a parenting fail moment for Mary and Joseph? It's like, well, we lost Jesus for three days. So then they found him. I'm sure that story was told many times. They found him in the temple. He said, I have to be about my father's business or in my father's house. And he's, you know, talking to the elderly theologians, and they can't believe the answers he's giving to his own, to the questions that are being asked. And then it says, he, fought, he went with them back to Nazareth and was submissive to them, Hupatasso. If that does not just absolutely blow your mind at that, this is the Son of God. If anyone is more dignified than Joseph and Mary, it is this 12-year-old son. And what does he do? It's not about his value. It's not about him being more or less valuable than his parents. If anything, Jesus is infinitely more valuable than Joseph and Mary, infinitely. And what does he do? Because of the calling God has on his life as a human being who's a child, he deliberately chooses to submit himself to his flawed parents' authority in the home. I mean, that is... One of the most astonishing examples of that word in the Bible, that Jesus, although He created them, because He's a child in His role, God's called Him to, in that moment, He chooses to submit Himself to their leadership, and it says He went back with them and was submissive to them, Luke 2, 51. So this is not about value. This is about the role God has assigned to us in any particular relationship uh, that we may have in front of us. Number five? Number five. Living in fear. Yes, submission does not mean living in fear. Look with us here at verse, where is it? Verse 6. six Thank five, you. Can you read six. that, Papa Fred? Uh, yes. Uh, as Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. Remember, we're children of Abraham. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Yes, and this reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman from last week. She laughs at the time to come. You know, she smiles at the future. This woman is not fearing anything frightening. Does she have worldly reasons to be afraid? She's married, some of these women, married to an unbelieving husband in first century Roman society. There are reasons to be afraid of the future. What if he never trusts Christ? What if my children grow up being influenced more by the dad than by my faith? I mean, there are all kinds of things to be concerned about. And yet, it's not that she ignores those things. She doesn't say those are unimportant. But she trusts herself to the fact that God is two things. He is sovereign and He is good. God is sovereign and He is good. And she can laugh at the future because it is in the hands of God. And she can trust in God because, as Peter says, she hopes in the Lord. Thoughts on that? Yeah. One pastor just said, don't back off from your resolve to follow Jesus. Even if doing so is tough and complicated and messy in your marriage, don't back off from following Jesus. I thought of just now just Larry and Pat Atkins. Mm. uh, Larry Atkins was an alcoholic, he, but Pat Atkins was converted, and she, had, she was coming to Faith Presbyterian Church when my dad was a pastor, and she had this burden for Larry to become a Christian, but she didn't back off her resolve of following Jesus as hard as it was. I mean, she would break down in tears with other women, pray for my husband, pray for Larry. You know, he's getting drunk. He would pull out vodka out of his desk. Nine in the morning. Nine in the morning, drinking all the time, but she did not back off. She was following Jesus, committed, going to church, and committing herself to the Lord. So I, I have another example, too, but we have godly women 
that we can go to or women can go to in church history or even in your life like Titus 2 to be strengthened. We can see women who didn't back off. Uh, they continue to follow Jesus even if in a difficult well, situation. Well, finish the Larry story, though, because I don't know if everyone knows what happens. Well, uh, he, he would come to church occasionally, but uh, at one point she got uh, my dad's testimony and gave it to him. And I guess he would listen in his car, maybe? On tape cassette, on tape I think, cassette, if you remember what that is. The tape cassette, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an old version of my dad's testimony, but powerful, very powerful testimony that my dad gave. But I guess he would listen to it over and over and over and over again. And it was through listening to this testimony, eventually God uh, saved Larry. And it was dramatic conversion. Yes, he ended up becoming an elder at the church years later, about a decade later. Uh, now he's at 61. At 61 years old. So he was converted late in life, and that was, that was through his wife, her loving, gracious, and how, 20 years or what? At how least, many years? At least. 20 years of her as a Christian, him as a non believer. 20 years, and she endured it. I mean, he's, he, this is Larry, this is his testimony. I'm not gossiping. This is his public testimony. He would wake up at three in the morning to drink alcohol because to, to balance out where he was at with his addiction. He, had to, he could not sleep through the night eight hours without drinking. So he would drink at three in the morning. He'd get into the office at 9 a.m. He would have a, he'd have a flask or something in the bottom drawer of his desk. He would drink that at nine. I mean, he was drinking all day. He was semi drunk at all times. And this went on for, I mean, he was going to kill himself. And, and then through that testimony, he was led to Christ and became a sold-out Christian. He's visited our church many times. He was just here a couple weeks ago at our church. He had brought a woman from uh, the uh, trailer parks right down the street here to come to, come to our church just a, maybe a month or two ago. And he just loves the Lord and has used, he's, he has some wealth, and he's used his wealth to serve a lot of people who are of lower income in the last uh, 15 years. Just one, one more story on, on Larry was you asked him one time, have you ever struggled with alcohol again since you became a Christian? He said, uh, no, because I'm following the man or, or whatever is where he's I'm following Jesus. I'm not struggling. But he did have one night where he did was tempted, but he it was moving. His wife stayed up with him all night and they prayed together really? to help them wow. to help him get through that one night of really bad temptation. Wow. So just uh, an inspiring example with, with both of them uh, is, is a picture of First Peter three. Well, of course, since some of you in the room are are, are not married, of course, this is an admonition also to not be unequally yoked. Yes, you know, not not to begin with a, mm. you know someone who's not a believer, if you are a believer. But, um, uh, but even within marriage, I mean, there's always this, this tension that was created by the curse, uh, or the distortion, I guess, mm -hmm. didn't go away. Uh, it, 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 through redemption, we have the Spirit to help us recover uh, what God intended. But nonetheless, it's still an issue sometimes in relationships. Yes, and when you actually talked to Larry and Pat Atkins about the story, again, I keep saying this, all the caricatures in our culture about wives submitting to their husbands, you know all the caricatures that are just, it's so easy to make this one sound crazy, right? And so when you actually talk to a real couple who've lived this out, there's nothing ugly or demeaning about this. This is actually glorious. You, you just want to honor Pat Atkins, the, the wife, when you hear the story. You, you want to honor women like that because they are worthy of honor. That, that is an astonishing way of loving her husband when he was not being easy to love at all. All right, let's move in here to what submission actually is. So again, to repeat, submission is not agreeing with your husband about everything. It's not seeking to avoid influencing your husband. Uh, it's not following your husband into sin. It does not mean you are less valuable than your husband, and it certainly does not involve living in fear. What submission actually is, submission number one is voluntary. I don't mean by that that you can disobey God if you want to on this one. That's not what I mean by voluntary. Voluntary meaning this is not a command that the husband enforces on his wife. 
Never, you know, the Bible could have said, husbands, make sure your wives submit to you. Doesn't do that, thankfully, right? That's not what it says. Peter gives women the dignity of addressing them directly and addressing women directly for six verses and addressing the husbands for only one. He's dignifying them. He speaks verse one, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. So be subject. He's saying this is voluntary. This is something that you must choose to do. Just as a, as a footnote, going back to what you guys said a minute ago, uh, if, if a single man is interested or dating a girl and they're moving toward marriage, uh, w- one of the things I've heard Vody Bauckham say, you need to watch how she deals with relationships of authority in her life as a signifier of what marriage might be like. So does she just speak disparagingly of her dad and just can't stand her dad, just always negative about her dad, who would be her authority growing up? Or, or does she honor her father, even if her father is not particularly honorable? Does she still show honor to her father and the position that he's had in her life, even if it's a very flawed father? How does she deal with different authorities in her life? Uh, a single man should be aware of that when he's, when he's dating a girl, but it is voluntary. Num- number two, or anything on that, number two, submission, to, submission is to your own husband, not to all men generally. That is so important. Submission is to your own husband, not to all men generally. The Bible does not say women submit to men. It says, wives, verse 1, be subject to your own husbands. So this is not women submitting to men. This is wives submitting to their own husbands. Thoughts on the wisdom of that? Well, of course, if, you, if you're, let's say you work outside the home and, and you have a boss and he's a male, I mean, submission would be to be obedient to what your boss asks you to do, assuming it's moral and legal and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but th- this is not mentioned a lot, submission to your own husband, not all men. That's an important, as you mentioned, because that's, that's what the submission passage refers to is within the context of marriage and marriage alone. Because this, this whole section and, and this whole issue is about this ordered building block. I mean, Christ's submission submitted to God before the creation of the world to be our Savior. Uh, so uh, even within the, the Trinity, I mean, uh, Jesus submitted to God, the Spirit submits to God, uh, but they serve each other equally as God uh, in their respective roles. And the same would hold true with marriage. So that's why this doesn't hold true outside of the marriage right. relationship. Yeah, I would just say this, which I've probably said this many, many times, but if we're struggling with the area of submission, like we've just cleared the weeds of what submission is not, and we're getting into what submission is, and it may bring conviction, but even we're all called to submit in various areas of life. I would just remind us all, and I'm sure I sound like a broken record probably, we've got to lift up the cross. The cross has to be high in our horizon. We've got to be able to see the cross, because when we come to the cross, like Spurgeon, I said this in my sermon, there, there's gold around the cross, like this gold country all around the cross. When we come to the cross and we see Jesus humbling himself, making himself nothing. Even in the upper room, Edmund Clowney in his commentary talked about, here's Jesus. He, he grabs this towel around him. He's acting like a domestic slave, washing his disciples' feet. And then Clowney said that was nothing compared to what he's going to do at, at the cross, where he pays for Peter's sins, where he pays for our sins. He's stripped of everything on the cross. So when we come and really, like Matthew Henry says, take a walk by faith and meditation to Mount Calvary. When we do that, there is all kinds of gold there. And we leave the cross changed and we leave the cross wanting to honor the one who's died in our place. I just think that makes submission so much easier for, for, for wives. When we come to the cross, we've got to lift the cross up. I and mean, it just goes back to 
Paul, where he says, uh, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I mean, that's the motivation. But we can so easily lose sight of that mm-hmm. and just think, I'm going to do better as a husband or I'm going to do better as a wife and grit our teeth. But no, it's we go back to Calvary, lift up the cross, whatever it takes to get the cross up. It will help us even just getting into what submission is. We've got to remember the cross. Now, I'm going to continue on that same point. Look at, look at number three here. Submission is beautiful to God. Submission is beautiful to God. This is true beauty. Submission is beautiful to God. Now, let me read the passage here. Look at verse uh, 3. Do not let your adorning, that's what makes you beautiful, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Just on this point, just continue with Scott's point, both husbands and wives in different ways model Christ in their interactions. So just, we know the obvious one, Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her. So husbands love their wives by leading the way Christ led us, which involves the cross, right? Laying down His rights, laying down uh, all His prerogatives to serve His bride. So husbands are meant to model that aspect of Christ, His leadership, His sacrifice, His love, His initiative, His responsibility. He took responsibility uh, entirely. At the same time, the wife represents part of Christ's character there too. Philippians 2, like you just quoted, although equal with God, He did not consider his equality with God something to be exploited for his own advantage, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, dying a death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all names. So a wife also is demonstrating when she submits to her husband, she is like Christ who submitted to God the Father. Jesus and the Father are equals, co-equal, co-eternal. They are equal in all things. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are equally God. And yet Jesus, although infinite and equal to the Father, chose in the incarnation to put Himself underneath the Father and to serve and obey the Father. I have come to do my Father's will, not my will, but Your will be done. I have come to work, I have come to earth to finish the work that You gave me to do, and that is to die for my people. And so, Jesus models submission to the Father, especially in Gethsemane and especially on the cross. So, the wife represents that, and the husband represents the leadership. We both get to represent Jesus. And I, I've, I said this a lot to my high school students who particularly think this is crazy. I understand growing up in our society why you would think that. But I, I will say, I said it, I believe I said it a few, maybe a couple months ago in my senior class. I said, okay, how many of you guys on Sunday sung about the cross? Can y'all, and they're thinking, okay, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure we sing about that every Sunday. So, okay, yeah, so you sung about the cross this Sunday. Do you know that around the world, millions and millions of Christians worship Jesus and praise Him, and gather to praise Him for His submission. The cross is the evidence of the submission of Jesus to the Father. There would be no cross if Jesus did not submit Himself and say, not my will, but yours be done. So, the most important event in all human history is Jesus' submission to the Father. 
And so when you see submission is not weak, it's not less than, if anything, do we praise Jesus all the more for his submission? Because he died on the Roman cross, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, confess that Jesus is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's the very act of his submission that leads us to exalt him and to esteem him, not to trample on him and treat him as less than. Why is it that humility and obedience are so frowned upon in our society today? Is it because it's about all about me, mm. us, or, or whatever? I don't know. We don't respect authority anymore. I uh, think the hatred of authority is huge today. Well, you can't. Of all kinds. If you're humble, you respect authority. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a crisis in our society today, personally. So. Can, I just, can I read three, yeah. three and four one more time? Yeah. Uh, three and four says, says this, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So one pastor said what Peter is saying is that not be your in, shouldn't, you shouldn't be incessantly preoccupied with like externals, you should be worried about the internal character, the, the internal godliness. You should be cultivating godliness. Another commentator, Tom Schreiner, said, The adornment God desires is not external but internal. Wives should not focus on hairstyle, jewelry, and clothing, but on who they are in relationship to God. What matters to God is not what people look like on the outside, but their godly character. And just, it, this is maybe jumping the gun on the singleness stuff that we may talk about, but I would just say, if you're single, godliness should be the number one thing you're attracted to in somebody else. Godliness is what you should be looking for. Not the physical, like the culture is going to say physical appearance, but no, godliness should be number one. And it just reminded me of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot starts uh, liking Elizabeth Elliot, but he wasn't attracted to her so much physically. He wasn't at the beginning. But over time, by the end of their time together, right before they were getting married, he was like, how did I ever see her as not beautiful? He was so attracted to her physical beauty. She hadn't changed physically at all. But what happened was he had seen this godliness. He saw this woman who loved Jesus deeply, who had a, a real walk with God, who just was journaling and just, just an amazing holy woman. And he was so overwhelmingly attracted to her. Why? Because he had seen the internal beauty was radiating out. And he was attracted to her. And I would say, I know you've talked about this, like in marriage, like sometimes you know, Liliana and I would get dressed up and go out, and yes, she's beautiful on those occasions. Like, she was beautiful at Victoria and Tyler's wedding. I couldn't hardly look at her coming down the front. It was just so <laughs> beautiful. But I would say the times where she's most beautiful is not necessarily the times where she's dressed up. It's times where she's giving herself with our son. She's beautiful, no makeup. Or times where she loves the Bible, and she's running with the Bible, and she wants to know, like, what does this mean? Like, that's where she's beautiful. So even in marriage, the godliness is the thing that even attracts us even more in marriage, I think. Well, I cannot improve on that, but just, just saying along with that, uh, just to kind of, I want to be balanced out here. This is not saying physical beauty is bad, that women should not care about that. Uh, it's not wrong to spend money on nice clothes and things of that nature. The woman in Proverbs 31 is clothed in scarlet. She makes very nice clothes. She can sell it. That's not bad. But, but again, this is an issue of priority. Priority of your thoughts, your imagination, your time, your money, if someone looked at your life, would they say, as a woman, would they say, you are primarily caught up in the physical, and you kind of put the spiritual and kind of sec on the back burner? Or do they say, no, no, th this woman, she does, she, she does care about how she looks, she doesn't ignore that, but she is primarily concerned. The front burner issue for her is 
the Lord Jesus, obedience, loving the Lord, following the Lord, glorifying the Lord, uh, serving others, caring for others, where's the priority at? So it's not that you neglect the one and, and only think about the other. It's just the priority issue is the, is the emphasis here. The, the main adornment should, should be exactly what you're, what you're describing here. For the, for the sake of time, let me move to the number four. What submission is? This is as important as anything on this list, and it's probably too long to write down, but submission is, or submission involves, it's a long sentence, gladly supporting and following your husband's vision for your family with all your gifting and intelligence, all your actions and attitudes with your priorities and your life. Again, submission involves gladly supporting and following your husband's vision for your family with all your gifting and intelligence, all your actions and attitudes with your priorities and your life. Uh, th- that, is, that is really at the heart. So, in other words, uh, it is not… Uh, I'll read you a quick quote here from, uh, again, from Carolyn Mahaney's book, Feminine Appeal. And again, people who are not used to hearing this stuff, this may sound a little bit intense just hearing this for the first time, but this is what Carolyn Mahaney writes. Uh, orient, this is what she means by the submission here of, of gladly supporting and following your husband's vision. Orienting our lives to our husbands not only helps them, but it helps us as well. When we adapt our lifestyles to serve our husbands, it helps to keep our schedules manageable. Oftentimes, we feel pulled in multiple directions by the demands of the family, friends, church, school, and community, not to mention our own desires. We try to please everyone only to feel frustrated and frazzled at the end of the day. However, when we build our lives around helping our husbands, all other so-called needs have to assume their proper place on our calendars. That is, if they even belong there at all. Ladies, this means we sometimes have to say no to other people clamoring for our attention, regardless of how worthy their cause. Conforming to our husband's preferences will also help put a stop to sinful comparisons. For instance, you should not experience guilt when your friend saves $20 a week on her grocery bill by clipping coupons if your husband would rather you spend the time on other tasks uh, than save the extra money. You should not feel condemned when you see your neighbor's beautiful garden if your husband appreciates home-baked goods more than fresh bouquets of flowers. While there is much to learn from the unique talents and abilities of other women, our goal is to be more capably, uh, is to more capably help our husbands, not to measure up to our friends. So why don't we ask our husbands today how we can best help them? And let's not assume that we can uh, ascertain their preferences through this one-time inquiry. Uh, rather, we ought to frequently solicit their thoughts and opinions so we can manage uh, their home uh, manage the home to their liking. So, in our culture today, that can be heard in different ways, but I do think that the, the, you, you could quibble with this or that detail, but the, the basic gist of what's going on there, I do think is a healthy and, and, and right attitude. Yeah, I can just read one quick thing. Yeah. Wayne Grudem gave this sentence, which I, if you're a wife, this may bring some conviction. He just said this, and it's worth just holding on in, in, your, in your brain. He says, an, an, an attitude of submission to a husband's authority will be reflected in numerous words and actions each day which reflect deference to his leadership and an acknowledgement of his final responsibility. I just thought, I mean, you, we can say that we, we acknowledge submission, but then here's the rubber meeting the road. It's going to show up in words and actions every day. I thought about mom growing up, like there's a conflict, and she would just be, okay, we're going to talk about dad when he comes home. We're, we're, we're done with this discussion. Dad's coming home, and he's going he's gonna to deal with it. Like she was deferring to him over, and he's going to bring the hammer down. Then I hide behind then furniture. Then you, you put the pillow in your, your back so you don't get hurt, <laughs> and that doesn't work when, when he, he finds it. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's just going to show up. Like, and it's just worth asking yourself, am I submitting in this way? Am I showing deference to, to my husband out of reverence for Christ, that, that type of thing? A few weeks ago, we read an example about Piper's mother 
and how supportive she was, because his dad was an evangelist that was gone much of the year. And so she had a lot of responsibility around the home, taught him how to drive a car and do multiple things, and she could do anything. But the moment he walked in the door, he was the man. Yeah, the dynamic shifted when he came the home. dynamic shifted. And I'm sure they plotted and planned all these things together, knowing that couple. So That's good. Okay, the last point before we run out of time. Number five, this is also a little bit longer, but submission uh, is to be done with a pure, respectful, quiet, and gentle demeanor. Uh, a pure, respectful, quiet, gentle demeanor. Those words are in the passage. Now, I, j- I just want to say here, th- the word quiet in the New Testament does not mean silence, and it's not mainly describing a personality trait. It's not like some women are naturally born with this exact biblical view and others aren't because they have a bigger personality. It's not so much referring to the, how big the personality is of, of the wife. Uh, this is referring to an attitude regarding the husband's leadership in the home. So just like P- Paul says, aspire, Christians should aspire to live quiet and peaceful lives. He means not causing a ruckus with the authorities unnecessarily. He, it doesn't mean you, you, you have no personality or you, you subdue your personality. He's not talking about personality per se, I don't think. Uh, he's referring to how how you, your tone and how you relate to the, the authority figure in your life. And if I can just uh, kind of wrap us up here with a story uh, similar to Larry and Pat Atkins. This is also from Feminine Appeal. It's about a, a wife named Carol and a husband named Howard. They were both non-Christians, and she becomes a Christian first. And just stick with me for a moment as I read this. I had never read this until this morning. Uh, this is what she writes about her own experience becoming a Christian when her husband was not a believer. When I gave my life to the Lord, it was a huge change. This was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me, but I knew I could not force my experience on Howard. I couldn't coerce him or make him change. I saw God's plan for us as wives. We were to be our husband's helpers, so I began to let Howard lead as an unbelieving husband. I had to acquiesce and do things differently. I learned to have faith in God, and as I submitted to the Lord, submitting to my husband became much easier. I began to say things like, Howard, whatever you decide, or you can make that decision. I stopped overreacting when we had challenges or putting pressure on him to come up with the answers. I would just tell him that I would be praying about it, and I was fine with whatever happened. While we used to share domestic responsibilities, I now took more charge of the home. I tried to make it a warm haven for Howard. When he came home, instead of a list of chores waiting for him, he didn't have to do as much. I found a lot of joy in taking care of the house and not burdening him with additional responsibilities. There used to be bitterness and tension when Howard would go fishing, golfing, or skiing. She tries to adjust her attitude. She says, I went overboard in loving him. I would even write him notes and leave them on the bathroom mirror or in the car windshield, etc. Now, this is where it gets really amazing. The women in my small group were praying for me and setting an example for me to follow. And every night I would pray. I wanted my husband to know the Lord. Yes, there was anxiety. I was anxious for the Lord to intervene, but I was learning to trust him. I prayed and prayed and finally, God heard. Then Carol's, husband, Carol's submissive conduct began to have a change in Howard's life. She says, Howard did not say anything, but he started changing. He saw a peace in me, and he became more relaxed. And because I was releasing him, he became more apt to stay home or to come home early from playing golf. Carolyn writes, as Carol patiently waited, God softened Harold's heart. He started visiting church with Carol, and almost four years later, he repented and he believed. Carol now marvels at the transformation in Harold's life, saying, today Harold loves and trusts in God, and he is very involved in the church. He is on the takedown crew, the sound crew, and he leads worship for our small group. He is in a Bible study with one of the pastors. At home, the change has also been dramatic. Howard has stepped up to the plate. He is the leader of our household. He makes decisions based on what is best for our family, and he is not afraid to do it. We truly serve a faithful God, and I am convinced that he hears our prayers. He will answer in his 
timing. But that is a faithful example lived out of the principles here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. And Papa, can you pray for us? Yeah, thank you, Mark. Have this mind among yourselves, Lord, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Um, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Father, uh, as Mark mentioned earlier, I can't think of a more... Uh, exalted form of humility than this described in Philippians about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So why should we object? Because Scripture calls each of us to obedience and submission in some form or fashion. We have to to be a, a Christian. We have to to be a believer. So Father, help us to digest all of this. This is, this is heavy stuff and and certainly counter to our, our culture today. And uh, thank you for this opportunity to exposit your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we plan to continue on this subject for, for a number of weeks more, so hopefully it will see you here next Sunday.